welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. done. Okay, good morning, everybody. My name is Chaim, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi. <coughs> Wow, we're up to step four. We're up to step four. Um, before we begin, we have two celebrants here, which is, is very special, very, very special. Yanki celebrating um, 60 days, 61 days today. And um, it's something that is, is, is truly a miracle. And um, the first 30, 60, 90 is, is the hardest days. You know? if you allow it to be that way. <laughs> you can make the next 30, 60, 90, the next hardest uh, 30, 60, 90 days. There's people in program here for three years, five years, 10 years that keep making it the hardest 30 days of their life. Um, that's what I was told. I was told you have to go through withdrawals only once. You don't have to go through it many times, only once. And um, I think we found a winner with you. You're a guy who comes every single day, every single day, and you're very committed. And in our last um, workshop, we spoke about the willingness to go to any lens. And that's it. If you're willing to go to any lens, you found a solution here. And the solution works. And she is celebrating two years, uh, three years, three years of sexual sobriety, which is <laughs> when I came into recovery, when I came into recovery, it was unheard of somebody celebrating three years, you know. You had to get onto a plane and fly somewhere or travel hours to find somebody with three years. So it's, three years is a, is a very big number. It's a very big number. And um, I just publicly would like to thank God for putting Shia in my life. I have an opportunity to work with Shia on a continuous daily basis. And it's unreal. It's unreal, the gifts. The gifts that come out of a relationship um, that happens over here. So... I'm forever grateful to you. I really am. And um, you don't get sober and stay sober unless you've gone to any lengths, and you continuously do it. And um, this is how step four works. So yesterday she is in my house, and we're doing some work together. And she tells me how he doesn't feel like his wife is there for him and loves him. Today in the morning he shows me a text. I'm allowed to say how his wife wants to take him out and be there for him and celebrate the fact that he didn't cheat on her for three years. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So how does step four work? Step four works simply. Yesterday, she could have decided that his wife doesn't love him to screw this whole thing and go act out instead of calling his sponsor and going to his sponsor's house. 
then justify the fact that his wife really doesn't like him, because she really doesn't, and he showed me proof, blows up his whole life and doesn't get the gifts. He left one day before the miracle happened. That's how this program works. That's how this program works. So let's begin. Step four. Step four says, very simply, made a decision... Um, Made, I'm sorry, can't read anymore. Made a searching affairs moral inventory of ourselves. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So if you look in the big book on page 63 on the bottom, he says, Next, we launch out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and critical step, a crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in our lives which have been blocking us. We made a decision, that was our step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. What the hell does that mean? We made a decision to give our will over to God. That means the person who Chaim was, until he entered into recovery, is not the same person who Chaim will be. I was told the old Chaim will forever act out. The new Chaim (coughs) will stay sober. The old Chaim that's run on self-will. You don't understand me. I understand me and I am in so much pain and poor Chaim will act out. The Chaim that lives in Chaim's head at all times, the Chaim that's filled with resentment, fear, pain, and then hurt others. Those are the four columns of the fourth step. Resentment, fear, the pain that was done to me, so I then do it to others, and then my acting out conduct, that Chaim will end up with the acting out conduct. So it's very interesting. I came into the program and I thought, and this is good for the newer people that are here, I have a problem with hookers. <laughs> I have a problem with masturbation. I married the wrong girl. You don't get it. My sex life is the problem. If you had my wife, so interesting, we're in a group of uh, 50 people and each guy feel, thinks the same thing. If you had my wife, if you had my sex relationship or the lack thereof, if you were raised in the home I was raised, if you had my religion, then you would also act out. If you had my job, if you worked for my boss, you would also act out. Step four finally says, hey, let me hear about your job. Let me hear about your wife. Let me hear about your life. Let me hear about your problems. Let me hear what's going on by you. So how interesting it is, I come into recovery. I think my problem is masturbation and porn. Strip clubs, hookers. That's my problem, that's my problem, that's my problem, that's my problem, that's my problem. And if you, Chaim, fixed all those problems, I could stay sober. 
if you got rid of the internet, then I could stay sober. The problem is the internet shows me so much pornography, so I can't stay sober. The problem is the women on the street dress in such a provocative way, I can't stay sober. The problem is, is that all the women besides my wife dress in the way that I want my wife to dress, and that's why I can't stay sober. And that's the talk on the street. The talk in the world is the problem is out there. The problem is not in here. If you get rid of all the problems out there, I could stay sober. But every movie has nudity. What am I supposed to do with porn? Wherever I go, everybody look. You go to synagogue and you leave and you look around and they, ah, the way these women dress. What am I supposed to do? Get rid of them. And then I could stay sober. And then take it a step further. If that guy wasn't an asshole, I could stay sober. If my wife didn't treat me that way, I could stay sober. If, 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 if there was m- enough money in my bank account that I didn't need God in my life, I could stay sober. <coughs> if there was a little bit more money than that amount that I just said, I could stay sober. If my wife wouldn't spend as much, I could stay sober. Basically, I could live the life that I live. Everybody and everything around me should change, and I could stay sober. And that's what he goes on to say in, in, the, in the big book. I'll never forget it. I was sober maybe a few months. And he goes on to talk about how if all the actors in the play would change, and if everybody would just live their life different. And if people would stop listening to me, and people would understand that I'm not the problem, they really are. If only, and while I'm reading it, it was, I'll never forget this. Every time I, re- I think about this now, I, it's like a good laugh. While I'm reading, I'm like, wow, I wish I could give this to my father to read. <laughs> like, wow, this would help him so much. He really believes, like, every person needs to just follow his script. And then it's like, wow, how do I sneak this into my wife? Like, how does she get some of this? Like, oh my God, if only. My workers, my my children, like, oh my God, my rabbi, you know? And finally, finally, we're humbled enough to say, I gave my will up to God in step three, which means no one around me has to change. I need a change. The sex industry doesn't need a change, and even if it does need a change, you ain't changing it. It's a thriving business with you in it or without you in it. Or without me in it. We're making some damage over here now, fellowship of uh, 200 plus. You know, they're losing some revenue, but um, they're still doing well. You don't have to worry. (laughs) They're doing very good. But nobody has to change. So I come to recovery. I come here. Very simple. I thought I'm going to walk through the doors and people are going to simply say, this is how you don't go to a hooker. You know how? You commit to yourself for today. I am not going to a hooker. You know how you don't flirt with the guy or girl? Today, you muscle up every ounce of strength and courage and you say, today, I'm not flirting. 
I'm not watching porn. And we look at each other in the face in this fellowship and we say, we're not going to do that. I'm not getting angry today. And the whole program says, don't do any of that. That's the last thing. You did that for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and that didn't work. Why would you continue doing that? The way you stay sexually sober is finally by surrender, by giving up, by saying nobody has to change. Only one person, me. Just popped into my head. I have a grandmother, 96 years old, I believe, or 95. So I, I was in in my parents' house last week and I'm sitting there with my father we're having one of these you know, philosophical conversations about could you get somebody to change? Could you, could you help somebody change? Could you convince somebody to change? Could you manipulate the situation to change? Like one of those type of conversations. My grandmother with her age, 95 years old, comes walking out. She's literally, she's, she's 95, I don't have to say more. She went through everything, the corona, and she was in the hospital literally in the last two years, maybe 20 times, literally. It's not exaggerating. She like, goes there for the weekends, you know. Um, we always say she's like, you know, she has, the, she has like 100 lives. It's unreal. She comes literally walking in. She can't eat anymore physically. She has tubes and pipes and things. It's insane. And she comes hobbling in on her walker with her aide literally holding her up. And I say, hey, Grandma. I say, could anybody change? Could you change anybody? And she picks up her head like ever so slightly and says, sure, yourself. Sure, yourself. There's only one person that's changing in this world, and that's me. And I'm responsible for myself. How ironic if every person was just busy changing themselves and they actually accomplished that, there wouldn't have to be everybody changing everybody else in this world. The hardest and most difficult thing to change is myself. And what I do all day as a result is change everybody else. The fourth step inventory is an opportunity where finally we get to look inside of ourselves. We get to hold up a mirror and for once and for all really do an internal, spiritual, mental, emotional surgery. Now all of you have done that work already on me. You all know exactly what I need to do and not do. And I intuitively believe that some of your advice, if not all, is correct by the way. But I don't get to change from that. I get to get more resentful as you give me more advice. I intuitively believe I know what everybody else needs to do. <coughs> My wife recently told me, Chaim, I hate to, to, to boost your ego or bubble. At this point of working on yourself for the past 13 years, you might know the answers for everybody. And if everybody actually listened to you, they might actually get help. But that's not the way life works. Nobody's listening. The only person you could change is yourself. And that's the last place I want to go. There are guys in this fellowship who could be on day one, week one, month one. We call them two-steppers. They, they work step one and they work step 12. They work step one by acting out a lot. And they work step 12 by telling everybody else how to stay sober. That is basically who I was pre-programmed. I could be 
in an adult bookstore, bookstore looking at porn, questioning which cassette to buy in those days, or which one to take home? Could I fit two or three or five in a bag? And how do I sneak it in my house? And while I'm there, I could be on the phone with teenage kids who are struggling with masturbation and pornography and legitimately giving them um, advice on how to not do it. And have no problem with it. I can't stop, but I could help you stop. <clears throat> and step four finally picks up the mirror and says, Chaim, look inwards. Look inwards. You only have as much as you got. You can't transmit anything you haven't, you haven't worked on yourself. You haven't, you haven't really <coughs> conquered. And what a gift. What a gift. What a gift. And one of the biggest problems is step four becomes this whole huge mountain of work. And we created this thing in recovery that step four is where you're supposed to stop working the program. <laughs> you're supposed to skip four, five, six, and there's many, many ways on how to do it. One way is, it's not for me. It just doesn't work. Another way is, I'm not good in writing or in spelling or in reading. Another way is, I got it. I got it. Got it. I know what to do. Got it. And this is where, this is where most people fail. And I put a lot of it, to be rigorously honest, on the sponsor. Not on the sponsor. On the sponsor. As a sponsor, it's our responsibility to walk over to a sponsor and simply tell him, this is how you do it. I'll never forget when Menachem came to my house and I told him all the above excuses. And he said, nobody asked you to do anything, just talk. He opened up his laptop. He brought up this sheet that's in the middle of the table here and said, who are you resentful at? But if a sponsor tells a sponsor, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, we'll, we'll get to it. And the sponsor doesn't hold the sponsor um, responsible, then I also would just like flow along for a while because it, it, you're doing surgery. You're putting things down on a piece of paper that you never were willing to do it. I'll say it further. You're doing the work that will actually stop you from acting out or flirting or lusting. Now, every fiber of my being doesn't want to stop acting out and lusting. So why do the work? <coughs> With all rational reasons, why do the work? I'm addicted to not doing this work. This work will stop me from acting out. This work kept Shia intact yesterday. This work kept me intact. Sponsor comes to my house, he's ready to talk to me, and you could ask him. I'm running around on the phone screaming and yelling about business like a looney tune. Like a total looney tune. I can't even put on a show for my sponsor like if I'm a sober, healthy guy. Yeah, 100%. Like a looney tune, screaming, yelling. I'm going crazy on the guy. We don't become normal here exactly. Like, boom, and forever... We're going to talk healthy and be healthy and act healthy. No. The purpose of step four is, to, is for finally to admit it. That yeah, I was freaking resentful at the guy who I was talking to. And I was in tons of fear. You know what the third part of step four is? So you harm people. 
that you're resentful at and fearful. So I started to harm him by losing it on him. You know what then happened? You act out. The fourth part of the step four. Write down, you're acting out your sexual behaviors. And that's what I did yesterday. Except for acting out. You know why? Because after the first three, I picked up my phone and I texted the guy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for crapping all over you. That was it. I was wrong. Now, even while I'm saying it, was there a part that he deserves to be crapped all over? Hell yeah. <laughs> Justified anger. And he was dead wrong. But even if he's wrong, I can't stay sober being someone that doesn't live a spiritual, wholesome life. <clears throat> and he was wrong. And he was dead wrong. And then comes after me apologizing to him. You always do it. You know, on the other side of the phone. And I'm sorry for that too. I was going to tell him, and I'm going to continue doing it. <laughs> this is how I'm wired. This is who I am. But not necessarily. I stop. I don't do it as much. I don't. I became much better. But this is how it works. But imagine if I didn't get rid of that resentment yesterday. Imagine if I told she had, no, don't come to my house. I'm so busy with so much work. I have so many more important things in life to do, like make money and act out. Like, leave me alone then I wouldn't have the opportunity. Imagine if I hid behind the fact that I'm actually normal and a spiritual giant that never gets angry. I can never then do this work. <coughs> I don't have to shame myself for it. This is who I am. <coughs> Somebody that lives with resentments cannot stay sexually sober. It's a simple, simple recipe. And the big book talks about this, and all our literature talks about it, and all our experience in the fellowship has have proven. And worse than resentment is justified and real resentment, not made up. Resentment that is true, that is real, especially when it comes to the wife, sponsor, God, and myself. I can't live with that. I don't anymore resent Chaim. Not because there isn't what to resent. <laughs> I don't have that right to. I can't stay sober if I resent Chaim. I can't resent my wife. One of the biggest things in check-in, um, you, get a, you get a glimpse sometimes, things like spill out, and you get to hear it around our fellowship, but it's by everybody, you know? It goes in roller coasters. If you're married, <coughs> sex and marriage. <coughs> For sexaholics, is kind of difficult. It's like, imagine an AA, they were going to the bar with their wives to drink once in a while. That wouldn't look too pretty. Somehow, we're supposed to figure it out very simply, and it's supposed to be an easy experience, and we, ha- we know how they're supposed to act. It's very difficult, and it's something that has proven to be difficult in my life as well. And more recent, my wife's trauma came up. I spoke about it a little bit last time. I have to get rid of this resentment daily or I am a dead duck. If there's one way to get Chaim to act out is resentment towards Chaim's wife, especially when it comes to sex. You don't mess with sex with a sexaholic. It's that simple. And if you do, it's going to kill you. And I need to work on it every single day. And then I need to work on the fear of it. So when is it going to be in jail? Oh my gosh, and you don't understand. And it's, a, it's every human right, every 
man has the human right and it's an integral part of what the girl is supposed to give. And you know the, the dance and the story of the manipulation that we try and it doesn't work and we try the other way and it also doesn't work. So for me, in early recovery, I just couldn't take it anymore. And one day I abused my wife. I just manipulated the crap out of her and I jumped her. And I had sex with her when she didn't want to have sex with me. And my wife said, and my sponsor, who I'm forever grateful for, said, you're by day one. We don't hurt people anymore. You act it out. In English, it's called masturbating in your wife's vagina without permission. Day one. Even though in the white book it says sex with wife is permissible, I learned very quickly that that's not called sex with wife. It's called rape. <clears throat> and I'm not a, such a quick learner, even though people think I am. I tried it again. <coughs> and I was by day one again. And I was more resentful at my sponsor at that time for putting me at day one than for the action that I did. It's like what we do in this fellowship. We call our sponsor. I acted out. What do I do with my wife? Or I want to act out. Or I took a significant action. I lost. How do I deal with my wife? I got a loaded gun in my mouth. I halfway pulled the trigger. What do I do with my wife? How do I tell my wife? Because we work a program for our wives to be happy with us. Which never works long term. But it's very simple. If I'm not resentful at her, it doesn't mean she doesn't have to clean house. It doesn't mean she doesn't have to do the work that she has to do. But if I'm resentful <coughs> at her, I'm at fault. You know, this is a very long topic. I, I, I think people have a lot of questions. There's resentments to... I don't know. There's, there's a lot of resentments that continuously continue, 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 continue. And it's, 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 it's step four is something I think we're going we're gonna to stay on for a little bit, maybe two more talks on it with questions and answers because the fears and the harms. This, this is a big topic. But one thing I want to tell everybody, it's not complicated. You don't have to think it through too much. You take out this piece of paper that we have over here that I would like to honestly pass around. Okay. Pass even if you don't, if you have a pen, you can do some writing now. If you don't have a pen, then, um, if you don't have a pen, then just at least look at it, you know, the whole thing. You were recording stuff, so let it run. Um, just look at it. I want to show the simplicity. Can I just get one? I'm sorry. I just want to show the simplicity of how step four works. And that is key. But this is where everybody gets stuck and this is critical and this is still till today. I do it either on a, on a phone call or I do it you know, just randomly um, on the piece of paper. Okay? The first column, I am resentful at. <coughs> we don't go this is the way it was taught to me and it's proven to work. We don't go from left to right, we go from up to down. So basically you need like a hundred of these papers 
okay, which will give you a few hundred resentments that you're able to put down in a piece of paper. And then you're able to actually get rid of it. By the way, good morning, Yaakov. I appreciate you being here. From top to bottom, you're able to go, you're able to go down. Now, the beauty is, this is the beauty of this, this paper. When I finished working this, I came to recognize, like, how the hell am I supposed to stay sober with all these resentments? Most of the time when we speak to people in recovery, I'm so resentful and I want to act out. And it goes the other way. I took a significant action and then the sponsor says, so who are you resentful at? What is going on? So if you get rid of the resentments, you took away 50% of, of, of the need. That sexual hormonal need, I just need <clears throat> torn, I just physically need to masturbate, is a lie of the brain. Let's break it now. It's not because you're a horny bastard. It's not. It's simply because you run and I run on resentments and fear. If I was able to take it away from you, 50 to 100% of your desire to have sex with that cleaning lady would disappear because you really don't want to have sex. You're angry at your wife that she didn't give you sex, so that's why you want to have sex with the cleaning lady. It has nothing to do with the cleaning lady. She's not so attractive, and you're not attractive to her. Because if she wasn't there, you wouldn't find a cleaning lady to have sex with at that moment. The reason you have it is because there's a fear. You woke up with financial insecurity. And I needed to learn this. And when I get rid of that, that's the importance of the phone call, everything disappears. So from top to bottom, the first column, I'm resentful at, for me, the way I, was, I worked it, and it was very beneficial from when my earliest remembrances until now. But you don't have to do that. You can do anything. You could just write, just write down any resentment. Father, mother, brother, sister, cousin, teacher, this teacher, that teacher, friend, relative, next to neighbor, this guy at the meeting, that guy at the meeting. Everybody, just put down as much as humanly possible. Whether you feel the resentment, you don't feel the resentment. Whether it's real, whether it's made up, just write it all down from top to bottom. Everything and anybody, God, yourself, if you're not resentful at God, then keep writing until you get resentful. But the resentment at God will come up. Why the hell did you make me a sexaholic for? And then the cause. Why am I angry? Why am I angry? Just write it down. This is critical in 10 words. We got your whole drift of why and your anger to go on for 100 hours. In 10 words, in 5 words, you know why. From top to bottom. You're going to start seeing a pattern. You're going to start seeing a pattern. There's a pattern that starts forming. For me, the, parent, the, pa- the pattern started to be arrogance. From when I was early, I was bullied, I was beaten, I was left back, I was hurt, I was belittled. I became very arrogant. I became very in people's faces. I became very obnoxious. I started up with people and then wanted to know why they're retaliating at me. I started to realize it was always an all about me. <laughs> I did a workshop five years ago. I'm doing a workshop now. It's so beautiful for me to see on a positive note that five years ago, the workshop that I did is I needed people to like crave me and want me and need me and chayim and chayim. Today, I don't. Today, I'm really feeling like I'm doing this to help people and to be there for people and people ask me to do this. Of course, it feels good and of course, there's, 
this, uh, you know, when people come over to me and so on and so forth, but it's not anymore the underlying desires of it. It's not I'm a, a, an ego booster and feeder, but I know that because of the work that I've put down. When you're done with those two sections, what part of self was hurt or threatened and you just start making checks? What's the difference between self-esteem and pride? The pocketbook and emotional and what is exactly it mean? Who cares? Who cares? This is the best piece of advice. Just start checking. Check the hell out of the damn thing. It will come. Not everything has to be answered. You didn't sit there watch porn of, should I watch this type of porn or that? You just clicked the hell away and realized you had 87 X's afterwards that you need to freaking hit the laptop, the whole thing bust. You know what I mean? Then you open it up and you watch 87 X's come back up, you know? Like, we didn't care. We didn't, same idea. Should I come to the meeting at this time? Just come. Just, just, all of a sudden, it comes to recovery with, with thinking, with thinking. Just write it down. But it doesn't make sense. But then it's not going to work. I don't know how doing yuppie K over here, God grant me the serenity, works. I don't know how a bunch of people that don't know how to stay sexually sober and there's no leaders stay sexually sober. You can't figure this out. There's only one answer. It's called a loving God that works among us. And that's it. He does all the miracles. You just got to just do it. It's like you go to work and the deals that are supposed to work out don't work out and deals that are not supposed to work out work out. God runs the world and you start realizing it. You don't have to do the work, the heavy lifting. Leave that up to God. So what part of self was hurt or threatened? Self-esteem, pride, emotion, security, pocketbook, ambitions, personal relations, sex relations. Check them all out. Where was I to blame? First of all, I don't like the word blame, to be honest with you. Just <coughs> me personally, I, I just don't like that word. It feels very harsh for me. Where am I to blame? What do I need to take responsibility today is, is more, for me, works better. You know, I don't, we stop the blame game in step four and six. He says in the 12th step, we stop blaming ourselves or others. There's no more blame. The blame goes. It's gone. So I like, you know, where, where am I to take responsibility? And where was I to take responsibility? And we start taking responsibility. What's my part? Well, Chaim, the guy got angry at you because you screamed and yelled at him yesterday on the phone. What do you mean, why? Yeah, but the reason I screamed and yelled at him is because he's ripping me off and he's acting like an idiot. Okay, but you got angry and yelled at him. What is a better way to do that? That's the last paragraph. What is the exact nature of my wrong? Be be in detail, specific. What is my detail of wrong? What could I do different? How would I redo it today? <clears throat> so I'm going to tell everybody a secret. If a guy comes into this program, and for five days, five weeks, five months, five years in a row, he's resenting his father, or brother, or sister, he obviously never did this. He basically told everybody, I don't work this program. If you're resentful, take out the piece of paper and write it down. I can't stand my mother, and I never understood her, and my wife is not the right... Did you do this paper? Did you redo it? Did you redo it? Did you redo it? And that's how the program works. And it, the resentment just disappears. How do I know? Because I don't have resentments today. How do I stay sober? By not having resentments today. So that's how it basically works, and the same thing is for the fear, and the same thing is for, for um, the harms, and the same thing is for the sex conduct. It is really not difficult. And I really 
encourage anybody, whether you have done it or haven't done it, or you have resentment, so you don't feel like you have resentment, just write it down. Just put it down. And then it becomes second nature. Then when you call somebody, it's like, I'm resentful at, and this is what, what my problem is. And then instead of ending it, boy, I'm resentful, and the guy says, yeah, you know, I, I feel bad. If I was going through what you were going through, I would also be pissed like hell. And oh my God, good luck. And you basically just told the guy to go have sex with a hooker. And he got permission now from you to have sex with the hooker. Or to be resentful and like hell and self-pity and I can't even act out. Instead, the conversations and the phone calls of our fellowship then become, what is my part? How could I make amends? What do I do different? And the guy actually walks away happy and you walk away happy and life works out. Oops. And everything is good. It's that simple. So let's open up the floor for sharing. I mean, for questions and answers. And God willing, and com- next week we'll continue with step four on fears and, and continue the workshop. Thank you for letting me share. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, go. It's really. Great question. Two great questions. So the first question is, what about the things that I'm not to blame? Now, I personally had a form of molestation that was done to me when I was younger, not to blame, even though for years I took responsibility for it. <clears throat> so interestingly, by the way, the way this program works is the, the pain of the molestation came up for me in therapy two days ago. I bawled like a baby, and yesterday I was bawling at certain points from it. A lot of pain that came up. And I was able to call somebody, and he just told me, to just simply say it out. Simply say it out. It, it, it takes away the power. So when I was like 10, 11 years old, for, ye- for years this took place, I would go to my father's office. Um, he had a factory. And in the basement, this guy would hand me porn magazines and show it to me and hug me. And everything else is a blank. But I knew I took home those porn magazines. I look at my son today, Yehuda, who's now in third, fourth grade, to think that he would go through daily being handed pornography. And that's part of his development is so horrendous for me that it's like I I couldn't breathe yesterday. And that was me. That was me. I have zero to blame for it. Zero. I have blame. I have zero to blame for it. I own responsibility today to not allow that to spiral. Yesterday it started to spiral. I owe myself amends for allowing that trauma to keep happening to me today. I'm responsible over that. I needed to give myself permission yesterday for a few minutes to cry and to feel the pain and to call people and then and then to let it go. So Things that were done to me that is not my responsibility, which most things are, but the things that aren't, I gotta give myself a few minutes permission every day to feel that pain and to let it go. And eventually you don't gotta give yourself permission, it just disappears. And then all of a sudden it comes back like it came up for me yesterday. And then I let it go. It's, it's, it's that simple. But not giving yourself permission is very, is very... Um, Can I just add one thing? Yeah. Shaw sex at all. Shaw. Remember when, Chaim, when I did this stuff with Chaim, 
one of the things you taught me was from your sponsor, the end of the day, lack of trust in God comes up for everything. And I remember when this came up with me with being bullied or also sexually, my part is not trusting that it was meant to be. And that helps me. The fact that I know that it was God's will to get molested or God's will, it helps me even today. It takes off a lot Correct. of that, I, And I love that. And that's after first validating yourself for the pain and suffering that you went through is then afterwards, and it might be a later step, it might be further on. You can, for me, I can't do it right then, and it's interesting, Harvey reminded me yesterday when I was speaking to him, that exact same thing. There is no mistakes in God's world. You will turn all your shit, all your manure into fertilizer to better your life and better the lives of others if you allow it to happen. So, yes, I appreciate that. Afterwards is the recognition of, I gave my will and life over to God. God wanted it to happen, that's why it happened. And then I could also be pissed like hell at God. And then I could go back to my step four and write down God's name. Because, wow. When t- I never allowed myself to be angry at him. But whoa, when it came out, it came out with vengeance. It was like, God, I'm ready for the boxing ring. Come inside. I'm going to kick your butt. I am pissed. Until I humbled myself in front of my creator and realized that everything he did is for my benefit. I will never understand certain things. But like I said so many times in this fellowship, I don't have answers, but I don't have questions anymore. Yeah. The second part of the question? What was the second? The second question is what do I do after? After what? After I wrote this down. Just after you wrote, write it down, you'll see a, a different feeling. It might not happen that second. It might not happen that second. It takes time, but you have done the surgery. Okay, I've finished the surgery. What do I do now? Now you relax, you rest. It's a very good question because I thought after I did my fourth and fifth step, so I thought like the literature says miracles will happen. So I sat with my therapist, I mean my sponsor, I did my fifth step and we sat for hours and when I was done, I felt such a release and relief and I felt like, wow, nothing could ever hurt me. I drove two blocks down and I saw a girl on the side taking a walk, not a hooker, a random girl taking a walk and I was like, oh, do I want her? Holy crap. And it was, it was, I was pissed like hell originally because I thought like I made it. But then I realized it was one of the greatest gifts is that, yeah, I'm going to still want a, a girl, but it's, it, it's not going to be anymore to the level that, it, that, that, that we feel when coming in. Because to that powerlessness, you will end up acting out. It lessens, but enjoy the experience. <coughs> Probably the same question, but I would say about recurring resentment. Yeah. yeah. Like, you obviously didn't do it. Like, let's say my father, like, I ran him down on my fourth step six months ago. It keeps coming up. He said, just keep, keep doing it no matter what. Beautiful. I appreciate you asking that. So the question is a recurring resentment. I said before, if a guy keeps on coming in and resentful and resentful and resentful and resentful, obviously he didn't do his step four. Let me recorrect that, Okay. The, the heavier and very, very difficult, painful resentments, like parents, like, like the, the ones that hurt in, in a deeper place, need more work. It, it's not something that's just going to disappear. Write it down, boom. You know, it, it's going to need the respect it deserves. And you're going to have to give it the respect it deserves. Correct, I was going to go there now. So 
for for me, let's say father, mother, heavier things, I, I gave them the privilege of owning their own piece of paper of resentment. Some of them got two papers. And I wrote then father hitting, father raging, father blaming, father shaming. I gave him a lot of credit for, for the, the good that he gave me in life. And it doesn't take away for the real good. It doesn't take away. The real good is the real good. But over here, I'm able to finally separate it. Yes, he was loving and kind and fun and enjoyable. And we did play ping pong together and go swimming and have great times together. It doesn't take away from all of this pain. And this is critical. You ready for this? My wife brings this up to me a lot. Because you're the one in the home that is so much fun and energy and you give the kids the ball of life and you make the house a party, if you rage, it doesn't now like undo all of that. And it doesn't mean that you didn't rage because you gave them all that fun and enjoyment. It means you gave them all the fun and enjoyment and you raged. And there's a scar for that rage. And there's damage for that rage. And you need to give the credit that that rage deserves. So if my father, who was a rageaholic, rages enraged, just writing it down is not going to go away. It deserves some time and I need it to cry it out, scream it out, yell it out, therapy it out, talk about it, communicate about it and then give myself permission to let it go is a key thing. If I'm holding on to it and I refuse to let it go, it ain't going anywhere. At one point we need to give ourselves permission to let it go, even the big ones. The big ones. Like the ones like my father like said, don't come home. I'm not your father anymore. I don't want you in our house. And then when he finally allowed me to come home, he took me and put me into a, into, um, into, um, <laughs> in a, on onsite, they, they taught me in therapy. It's called a prison. You know, I called it a room. They said it was a prison. They put me into a, a prison, a room, and locked the door behind it and, and told me, you're in prison. Now, the reason they did that, I always said, you don't want to say, I hear my father even now while I'm saying it. Now, you're not saying the truth. You beat up your teacher. Be honest about it. <coughs> you beat up your teacher, which I did. And I deserve to get disciplined and punished for it. I wasn't deserved to put into a prison and be served on a tray. Um, watermelon and, and um, yeah. So I, I didn't then sneak out to get to the bathroom. You know, I didn't deserve that. Now, if you know my father, have seen my father, he's the sweetest, nicest, greatest guy today and I have ultimate respect for him. But he has damaged me and hurt me in a way that, wow, did I need a lot of work. It wasn't just doodling it down on the fourth step. Even though it helped and it got easier, but then afterwards it got much harder. And then I wanted to punch somebody, kill somebody. And by the way, in the middle of me doing my fourth step, at one point I took the book and threw it across the room in such rage and arrogance and anger because the pain came up. Nobody's gonna say that this is like an easy, easy step. It's not easy, it's simple. But it's work. And then I need to pick up the phone and pick up back up the book and blah, 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 blah. But like, but like it was told to me, I still remember um, Tom G, Tom Gaffney, he used to call himself, you know, helped me a lot um, in a church in Metuchen. Um, he told me that when this pain comes up, that uh, I should go into my son's room and I'll never forget this. I used to do this continuously. And every once in a while, I still do it today. And just sit on your child's bed. 
when the pain of your child comes up. And while your child is sleeping, just put your hand over his or her heart and feel their beat, feel their warmth. And just tap into your inner child because they're your inner child. They're a product of you. And I've done that and I've cried and I felt nothing and I felt like effort and I felt that why didn't anybody do this for me but it was a very healing experience and, they, and then I would talk to my inner child and talk to my, my child and I would say Shmuel I'll never do to you what was done to me and I am willing to die before lusting or acting out again I am willing to go to any lengths to be the father that I never had <clears throat> And I'm going to be by your side and I'm going to protect you. And really while I'm talking to my child, I was really talking to my inner child. And I need to do this to myself sometimes. And it feels good. If you want to embarrass, if you want to feel even good right now, do it to yourself even now. Take your hand, feel your own heartbeat and your own chest. And tell yourself in your own brain, I will not lust or act out. I'm going to be there for you and take care of you. I'm not going to abuse you anymore. You don't deserve to be raped through masturbation. You don't deserve to be raped through, through watching pornography. You don't deserve it anymore, Chaim. You've been there and done that too many times. And it's very healing. And it takes away the childhood pain because you transform again. You transform that pain and insanity that was done to me into a spiritual wholesome place. But the deeper and more sensitive stuff is meant for therapists, is meant for old-timers in this fellowship, is meant to give it the credit that it deserves. And give it that credit until today, every once in a while, I need to give it that credit until, that this is my story, it doesn't mean it has to be yours. In nine and a half years, a lot of my trauma and pain and childhood shit came back up. I did all the work and everything, but it came back up with a new vengeance. And I was forced to get deeper and more help for it. And I had to go outside of SA to look for that help. And it helped me a lot. I couldn't share what was any more this pain that I was shown porn and I was and you know put into a, a prison and I couldn't share it anymore. It had so much power until I shared it and then the power went away. So I was gentle on myself about it. And that's the last thing I'll finish off. Be gentle on yourself. That's why I said I don't like the word blame. This is not blaming ourselves. This is being gentle on ourselves and giving ourselves the opportunity to be different. Okay, we ran over. I just feel sorry. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.